We have reached nearly 50 episodes in this series, having gone through almost every civilization and culture, and never really looked at the Roman Empire. Why? Well, they weren't great inventors. There were a few developments, but the 1,000 years of Roman rule saw technology not used for economic incentives. Nor did Romans facilitate an empire of tinkerers to develop technology. No, in Rome, technology was used for statecraft. How this manifested is well known. Rome built aqueducts, roads, and what we're focusing on today, bridges. One could say aqueducts and bridges are pretty much the same thing, just with different functions, and they'd be right. But let's not get too pedantic. Today, we're just focusing on bridges. Rome did not invent the bridge. Bridges existed before Rome, but Rome perfected them. Engineers in the Roman army used bridges to great effect to move over natural barriers in Europe. Engineers in the Roman army used bridges to great effect to move across the natural barriers on the continent. The wealth and technical knowledge needed to fund and build bridges were far beyond that of even the greatest non-Roman civilizations in Europe. While the Britons, in many ways, according to Caesar, were a highly developed culture, they still hadn't managed to bridge the Thames. The Rhine was almost an impossible dividing line of Europe, seen as nearly impossible to cross, save for slow and cumbersome rafts that might easily be attacked by the Germanic tribes. Imagine a river, not the middling rivers we have today that meander through set routes held together by concrete banks, dams and floods, but the rivers of 2,000 years ago that change paths most years and whose current doesn't flow but races. An army might want to cross with a few survivors, but in no sort of order. The enemy would be able to pick them off at the other side. With bridges, an entire army with cavalry and supplies could cross even the biggest, widest, strongest rivers. Bridges helped to build the Roman Empire. From that, Roman-style bridges helped to develop the modern city. Most of the great cities of the world are built on rivers to provide easy water transport, but would often grow mostly on one side. Such was the difficulty in crossing these natural barriers. Like we talked about with bread, the importance of which is reflected in our language, the same can be said for bridges too. The falling off a bridge, water under a bridge, and the importance of bridges are well known in culture too. London Bridge falling down is one of the most famous nursery rhymes in history. It would have been a devastating experience to see the destruction of one of the primary landmarks and utilities of society. The fall of London Bridge would have been the 9-11 of its day. The operational name of the death of a royal in Britain is given a bridge name. The plan for the death of Prince Philip was given the name Operation Fourth Bridge, whilst for the Queen it was Operation London Bridge. The building of a bridge can be of enormous regional importance. A new high-speed rail line would be the equivalent for today. The riches and political capital needed to build a bridge across a large river would have been enormous, even in pre-modern times. But across a long and wide river like the Thames, or the other large rivers across the world, the building of a bridge 
would mark that area as a focus point for miles and miles around. Trade would boom as the bridge became the easiest place to get across. The City of London built London Bridge, and the fact it's called London Bridge perhaps signifies it has always been the most important bridge in London, not Tower Bridge or Westminster Bridge, London Bridge. London Bridge was the central location for commerce and the area around. There were other wealthy areas, like Winchester, around the south of England, but the importance of the bridge over the Thames focused the south of England around that specific point in London. So bridges are old, we know that. They're arguably one of the first technologies man created. Every true bridge serves and operates the same principle, to provide a land barrier that can defy gravity to keep you, and perhaps your goods, able to cross a river or valley, so you don't have to walk around it. They do this through the application of physics to slightly arch stone, wood or iron over thin air and strong enough to defy gravity, and it enables you to walk over it. One never knows where or when or how man first used the bridge. Early hunter-gatherers must have been able to navigate around streams and rivers. Some of these would have been able to be crossed either through it by swimming or wading or by stepping stones that developed from natural stones or trees. Long tree branches which naturally grew up beside riverbeds may have felled across rivers or provided a long enough reach across the rivers to make them more navigable. So the only question would be at what point this natural development of obstacles over rivers became deliberate. Stone tools were useful to mankind, but it's perhaps too much of a logical leap for stone flints to start toppling trees and laying them over rivers to bypass the flow. It seems likely the earliest crossings were made from flat rocks across shallow waters to form stepping stones. No prehistoric bridges were known to survive, but we can guess at early forms. The tin regions of Cornwall has some clapper bridges where piles of stone were laid on top of each other to form what looks like bridges to me. Nevertheless, basic bridge building seems to have come to humanity before the written word, making it lost to us about the earliest developments of what could be called river crossings before they became bridges. Even the earliest of these proto-bridges have to deal with the same forces as modern-day bridges. They have to deal with the dead load, the bridge's own weight. They have to deal with what goes over it, called the live load, and they have to deal with environmental loads like wind or flooding. So what matters is the strength of these forces used to cope with these various issues. In pre-industrial times, the easiest and best approach was stone. Yet other materials were often used, like vines and ropes. The use of these bridges also makes an impact on the type of bridge used. The four most common types of bridges are beam, where there is a simple beam placed on top of a span to create a crossing. Imagine putting a branch or something on top of two rocks so you can walk over a river. That would be a beam bridge. The arch bridge is like a beam, but the span of the bridge is arched to keep its constituent materials compressed. The third bridge is the cantilever, where the beam is supported by brackets to impact a certain amount of outwards force, 
as well as inside force. The fourth most common type of bridge is the suspension bridge, one of the most simple principles. Across a large gorge suspended and normally made of wood and rope, the suspension bridge is still common in use. Think of the type of bridge from Shrek or Indiana Jones. It is one of the oldest forms of civil engineering. Civil engineering first became a thing in Mesopotamia, where the Sumerians first began to dig canals for irrigation purposes around 4000 BC, which lasted for almost 5000 years until the Mongols destroyed all the irrigation works. Some of these irrigation works contain aqueducts, like the 280 meter long and 20 meter wide stone aqueduct built across the small river valley of Jerwin. In 626 BC, a bridge built across the Euphrates and built near the Tower of Babel was noted as a highlight of the city. Herodotus, the Greek historian, also leaves us an account of Darius of Persia building a huge bridge on a military campaign in Europe across the Black Sea in 480 BC. At a distance of nearly a mile, the bridge at the Hellespont was so large and so many had to cross it, it is reported that it took days and nights for all of his troops to march over the bridge. But as we hinted at before, the bridge can almost be a Roman invention. Not that others didn't do it before Rome, but they did it on such a grand scale across the entirety of their empire and spread their knowledge of bridge building so far and wide that the modern bridge is a Roman invention, even if the Sumerians might have created the knowledge in the first place. The first Roman bridge we know of was the Pons Sublicus, said to have been defended against the Etruscans from invading in the 6th century BC. It was probably a timber base, which many Roman bridges were, but of course only the stone ones survived. There was probably a lot more timber bridges back in the day than history can ever record. These timber bridges were probably quite common as they were easier and cheaper. Julius Caesar described a timber bridge he built across the Rhine River in 55 BC. And it was in the 2nd century BC when the Roman bridge engineers mastered the techniques of creating foundations midstream and the development of masonry works. The Romans developed excellent waterproof cement and they developed arch work which meant bridges could span much greater distances than simple seam bridges. It was these arches that are perhaps the most famous architectural legacy of Rome today. Roman arches were semicircular, and Roman engineers perfected building bridges out from the shore a span at a time, rather than putting the entire bridge substructure in place first. The seminal Roman textbook, De Architectura, written by military engineer and architect Vitruvius, contains no sections on bridge building, but does contain much on various elements of bridge building. One technique was to construct a timber framework on land and manoeuvre it into the position and then sunk with the material of the pier. The second type of Roman bridge was the aqueduct. It carried water into the cities of the empire. Rome itself was served by a network of 11 aqueducts of 348 miles in length. Of that, around 37 miles was kept above ground on arches to maintain flow. The most famous Roman aqueduct today is arguably the Pont de Garde in Avignon, France. Built in around 19 BC, it is part of a system 30 miles long. 
while the aqueduct is 270 metres and carrying the water of the Rhone River. It still survives today as one of the most famous legacies of Roman architecture. The legacy of Roman bridges spread throughout the empire, and we'll get onto some legacies of the Roman bridges throughout the empire when we get into medieval bridges in Europe, but for now, let's head to China. China developed bridges independently from the West to deal with much different topography on the land than in much more flat lands like in the West. China is much more diverse than continental Europe, with huge winding rivers, massive mountainous terrains, and then the huge rice paddies. It all meant China could do with some nice new infrastructure. Of course, related to the bridge is the canal, which often started as irrigation tools to move water to crops and the like, and the bridge isn't too far behind. You can imagine the problem bridges or gorges would cause. Cross over where you want, or you might have to go 100 miles or more around, should you be faced with a long river before it gets narrow enough to cross. Of course, water transport is possible, and for high-profile individuals or crops, it was certainly possible to use river transportation, but it's hardly efficient to do this all the time. So, for much the same reason as everywhere else, the Chinese started to develop bridges. Built on the same principles, these bridges were built in many different ways, with different materials from Europe and Asia, and for the same purposes. Stepping stones and bamboo bridges were developed in China, but independently they also built iron chain suspension bridges, arches of stone and timber, and beam bridges in stone and timber too. Rome may have influenced China somewhat, but it took about a century and a half after the end of Rome for China to start making quantum leaps in bridges. The Zhaozhou Bridge was built in the 7th century AD and is perhaps the greatest bridge of its age. During its 1,400 years, the bridge survived at least eight wars, ten major floods, and numerous earthquakes. The most recent being the 7.2 magnitude Xingtai earthquake in 1966. It looks like a Roman bridge, complete with arched spans of 37 metres. It has had many imitators, and over the centuries, the Chinese developed bridges in much the same image. This should be no surprise. As Europe was engulfed in the post-Roman kerfuffle, the Chinese Song Dynasty grew leaps and bounds, developing all sorts of things. Cantilevering bridges in the 10th century were built, while suspension bridges were built across China's great gorges, showing the Chinese beginning to master their landscape before Europe managed to do so. Turning back to Europe, it should come as no surprise that Romans took their bridges all the way across the empire. The longest lasting legacy of Roman bridge building is perhaps the city of London. Built on the side of the Thames, it grew the area into a site of trade and commerce the likes of which the world had never seen before. London goes back in some stories to the Celts, and there is certainly evidence of settlement pre-Roman times on the banks of the Thames. A few miles upstream, and there were fords across the river in use. But it was in the invasion of the Romans who brought their new technology of roads and bridges who would leave London perhaps its greatest Roman legacy. The first London Bridge was probably a pontoon type bridge to connect Kent Port to Colchester. 
In 50 AD, a bridge was rebuilt a little further upstream. A strong settlement grew up around the north of the bridge, and it was called Londinium. The bridge was most likely destroyed by Boudicca, or Boudicca, but rebuilt and offered uninterrupted mass movement of foot, horse and wheeled traffic across the Thames. But it was the collapse of Rome that caused everyone trouble. The knowledge of how to build and maintain these types of bridges collapsed too. China gained the lion's share of technological advancement. Persia and China built huge bridges during the medieval era as Rome floundered. London Bridge, after Roman withdrawal, fell into disrepair and a millennia-long economic depression hit Europe. China and India developed chain suspension bridges by the 8th century, and Europe looked a long way behind. Yet a curious event, often called the Renaissance of the 12th century, occurred, where, during the High Middle Ages, a wave of technologies and learnings hit Europe. Perhaps partly a result of the trade and commerce from the Crusades, and the translation of Greek works bringing back forgotten knowledge, as well as some Islamic learnings coming to Europe, a series of new technologies, like windmill and the paper, were introduced. It also led to a renewed interest in bridge building, and here we turn to the Pont d'Avignon. Started in 1179, it was the first real medieval engineering project in Europe, which matched that of Rome. London Bridge was repaired and rebuilt to some extent. The Thames became hard enough to cross that kingdoms were created around the Thames, with the Thames representing the natural barrier. It is said that Alfred the Great rebuilt the bridge in part of his fight against the Vikings, but then disaster struck. In 1014, tradition goes, London Bridge was destroyed by Olaf of Norway to divide up the Danish forces who held the city of London and Southwark to the south. It is thought that the song, London Bridge is Fallen Down, could come to some extent from this incident. The horror and the impact it would have had on the people of London is their economic heart and soul. The bridge that made the city what it was, was destroyed. And there's a part of me that would like to believe that the Londoners of the day thought this event was so important that the best way to memorialise the loss of something so profoundly important to their way of life was to encode the tragedy into perhaps the most famous nursery rhyme in the English-speaking world. The bridge was rebuilt by William the Conqueror, and subsequently needed to be rebuilt by William II, and in 1209, as we saw earlier, European technology finally reached the levels where a more permanent structure could be put in place. The flourishing of medieval Europe spread across the continent, London, Avignon and Florence. Florence was the home of the Renaissance, and the Ponte Vecchio, attributed to Tadio Gaddi, built an extremely shallow bridge where the arches would only rise 4.4 metres, but it allowed the bridge to be double-decked. As the Renaissance met with the Enlightenment, bridge building in Europe went through a change too. The start of the Enlightenment saw traditional masonry continue, and with the Renaissance seeing theories evolve about the strength of materials and the nature of forces acting upon them, Bridge building would see a change, but it would take time. These new techniques and intrigues would take the Industrial Revolution for them to start making a huge impact. 
The idea in using iron bridges in the mid to late 18th century began to be thought of amongst English bridge builders. Thomas Pritchard of Salisbury produced a series of three bridge designs. The third was a design for a cast iron bridge between Maidley and Brosley. It would be this design that would become perhaps the most monumentally important bridge in England since at least London Bridge. The iron bridge at Colbrook Dale built was erected in only three months. Cast iron was stronger than stone in most timbers, and it had a greatly improved compressive strength. Within just a few years of being built, iron bridges would be springing up across much of industrial England. Thomas Telford and John Rennie were two of the greatest civil engineers of their day. The Industrial Revolution saw a need and a demand for huge amounts of bridges needing to be built to better connect the flourishing trade on land. The first demand was for canal aqueducts. We talked about the Bridgewater Canal in the canal episode, and the Barton Aqueduct was a model for all canal aqueducts to follow. Canals had to go over rivers and gorges on a flat level. The transport revolution that started in England with the canals and ended with the railway mania would not have been possible without the building of great bridges. Large gorges and rivers were crossed, creating more and more shortcuts for the canals and then railways. And bridges are of course adaptable and used for all different things. For people, horses and carts, boats and rails. The industrial revolution added a spurt of civil engineering, primarily in England and then spread to Britain which helped to initiate the strongest period of bridge building in at least two millennia since the Romans arrived. This time in Britain, the bridges were made from domestic knowledge, with domestic materials for civil domestic purposes. The bridge building only increased in the 19th century, as the development of bridges built made it cheaper and more rewarding to build these bridges. The 19th century saw a wave of bridges being built in first Britain and then America, using new techniques and materials, but with knowledge of how previous bridges were built, the designs and scale got larger and larger. The canals led to the railway bridge revolution, which outmatched that of even canal mania. Canals were perhaps still mostly pre-industrial. The boats were pulled by horses, and essentially the canal network of Britain could have been built by the Romans, except they would have had no need for the movement of coal. The mass implementation of a coal-based energy economy finally reached fruition with the replacement of canals themselves and the development of rail. These railway bridges were vital in connecting Britain. The various rivers, streams, gorges, hills, ravines and even estuaries meant that if railways were going to work, bridges needed to be able to pass over all of these natural barriers. The rush for bridges meant new designs were needed, new boundaries needed to be pushed and with the development of iron and later steel, these bridges were now possible. As the century progressed, steel started to replace iron as the preferred material for bridge construction, providing higher strength and durability. One of the most remarkable bridges built using steel was the fourth bridge in Scotland. Completed in 1890, the fourth bridge was the world's first major steel bridge and used the cantilever principle, where beams are supported only on one end. 
Its innovative design and use of materials marked a significant step forward in bridge engineering. Throughout the century, the design and construction of bridges continued to evolve. Advances in mathematical modelling, material science and construction techniques led to bridges with longer spans, higher load capacities and more efficient designs. The 20th century was a remarkable time of progress and innovation in the world of bridge engineering and construction. Advances in technology, materials and architectural design principles resulted in bridges that were larger, stronger and more visually stunning than ever before. The century began with a substantial carryover from the 19th century bridge designs, particularly in the use of steel. Steel remained the preferred material for most bridges due to its strength and durability, and its ability to be shaped into many forms. This was evident in the construction of Hellgate Bridge in New York City, completed in 1916. The Hellgate, an arch bridge made of steel, was designed to carry heavy rail traffic and withstand the harsh marine environment, illustrating the capacity and versatility of steel as a bridge building material. In the 1930s, the iconic Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco was completed, demonstrating not only advancements in engineering, but also an appreciation for aesthetic design. The suspension bridge, with a main span of 4,200 feet, 1,280 meters, was the longest of its kind when it was completed in 1937. It showcased how suspension bridges could accommodate large spans, and the characteristic international orange colour underlined the increased importance of aesthetics in bridge design. Throughout the century, concrete, specifically reinforced and pre-stressed concrete, also gained popularity for bridge construction. Pre-stressed concrete, developed in the 1940s, allowed for thinner, lighter structures and longer spans, revolutionising the bridge construction industry. An example of this is the Glasville Bridge in Sydney, Australia, when it was completed in 1964. It was the world's largest concrete arch bridge. The development of cable stage bridges was another significant milestone in the 20th century. They presented an alternative to suspension bridges, capable of spanning similar distances, but requiring less materials. The construction of the Normandy Bridge in France in 1995, with a central span of 2,808 feet, 856 meters, marked a new era for this type of bridge design. The 20th century also saw an increasing emphasis on bridge safety and longevity. After several high-profile bridge failures, such as the Tacoma Narrows Bridge collapse in 1940 and the Morandi Bridge in 2018, engineers around the world focused on making bridges safer. Techniques such as aerodynamic testing, non-destructive evaluation methods and finite element modelling became commonplace in bridge design and maintenance. Bridges of the 20th century also mirrored societal changes. They became symbols of cities, representing local culture and identity. 
The Sydney Harbour Bridge, completed in 1932, not only facilitated transportation, but became an iconic symbol of Sydney and Australia as a whole. The history of bridges are a history of materials. The future of bridges are materials too. From lumber, stone, iron, steel, bridges of the future may be built with graphene. Graphene is a carbon-based material stronger 200 times than steel by weight. It will allow for a whole host of future uses, but bridge building could be one of them. It could enable more expansive bridges to be built for cheaper. It could allow new designs that spiral. Graphene is also a superconductor, meaning photovoltaic cells could be sprayed onto the surface of the bridge, allowing it to make energy. A graphene bridge could self-produce energy, allowing it to run autonomously. Imagine Tower Bridge in London, but built with graphene. The bridge lift could it be entirely self-powered. With graphene only an atom thick, the room needed for bridges would be a lot less. Pedestrian bridges using graphene could have minimal footprints, allowing for easy connections in only limited space. There is no doubt in my mind that graphene will change bridges as profoundly as iron and steel did in previous centuries. Composite materials such as carbon fibre reinforced polymers and fibre reinforced plastics are increasingly being used in bridge construction due to their high strength to weight ratios and resistance to corrosion. This makes them ideal for use in environments that are harsh or hard to reach for regular maintenance. Self-healing concrete. Researchers are developing a type of concrete that can repair itself using bacteria or polymers. When cracks form, these elements within the concrete are exposed to water and air, triggering a reaction that fills in the cracks, thereby increasing the lifespan of the structure. Ultra high performance concrete. UHPC is a new class of concrete that is exceptionally durable and resistant to weathering. With high compressive and tensile strength, this can lead to bridges with longer lifespans and lower maintenance requirements. As 3D printing technology advances, it's increasingly being explored for use in large-scale construction, including bridges. 3D printing can allow for the creation of complex, custom designs that are difficult or impossible to produce with traditional manufacturing and construction methods. Modular and prefabricated construction. This approach involves constructing components of the bridge off-site and then transporting and assembling them on-site. It can lead to more efficient construction processes and reduced disruption at the construction site. Sustainability. There's an increasing emphasis on ensuring that bridge construction is environmentally friendly. This includes using sustainable materials, minimizing waste during construction, and considering the total life cycle impact of the bridge from construction to demolition. Smart bridges. The concept of smart bridges involves integrating sensors and other technology into the bridge itself. These can monitor the health of the bridge, detect structural issues early and provide real-time data about traffic patterns. 
Artificial intelligence and machine learning can then use the data from the smart bridges to predict when maintenance will be needed, identify potential problems before they become serious, and optimize traffic flow in real time. So back to graphene, which I think is one of the materials of the future. Graphene is a two-dimensional material consisting of a single layer of carbon atoms arranged in a hexagonal lattice. It is renowned for its remarkable properties such as high strength, lightness and excellent conductivity of heat and electricity. These attributions make it highly promising material for various applications, including bridge construction. Graphene can be used to reinforce traditional construction materials like concrete and steel. Graphene reinforced or graphene infused materials could offer superior strength, resilience and durability, making the resulting structures more robust and longer lasting. For instance, adding graphene to concrete could make its tensile strength and reduce its permeability, making it less susceptible to corrosion, cracking and other forms of wear and tear. Smart sensors. The excellent electrical conductivity of graphene could be exploited to create advanced sensor technology. Graphene-based sensors embedded within the structure of a bridge could monitor stress, strain, temperature and other important factors in real time. This would allow for more effective structural health monitoring and early detection of potential issues. Graphene's impermeability to all gases and liquids could be used to protect metal components and bridges from rust and other forms of corrosion. A layer of graphene could be applied as a protective coating, dramatically increasing the lifespan of the components. Graphene's unique electronic properties might also be harnessed to generate and store energy. For instance, if the bridge is equipped with solar panels, graphene could be used to enhance their efficiency. Graphene-based supercapacitors could also be used to store energy, potentially powering bridges' lighting and other electrical systems. Bridges have played a vital and pivotal role in human history, facilitating transportation, trade and the exchange of ideas. From simple log bridges in ancient times to the complex steel and concrete bridges of today, bridges have consistently proven to be revolutionary inventions with profound impacts on human society. Bridges serve as vital functions, connecting geographical areas that are otherwise separated by physical obstacles such as rivers, canyons or bodies of water. They form essential links within transportation networks, enabling the movement of people, goods and services. The San Francisco to Oakland Bay Bridge, for example, serves millions of commuters each year and provides the vital economic link between the two communities it connects. Beyond their practical utility, bridges also facilitate intellectual exchange. They often serve as symbolic links between different cultures or regions, promoting understanding and collaboration. Iconic bridges like Istanbul's Bosphorus Bridge physically and symbolically link two continents. Europe and Asia. Bridges also stimulate advances in technology and engineering. The construction of bridges has often required groundbreaking solutions to complex technical problems. 
the fourth bridge in Scotland, a marvel of 19th century engineering, is a testament to human ingenuity and the ability to overcome seemingly insurmountable challenges. These engineering feats have not only led to better bridges, but have also pushed forward our understanding of materials, forces and design principles, contributing to progress in the broader field of engineering. Moreover, bridges have become iconic symbols of their cities or countries, contributing to local identities. Sydney Harbour Bridge, New York's Brooklyn Bridge or London's Tower Bridge are more than just transportation infrastructure. They are emblematic landmarks that define city skylines and are intrinsically tied to the communities they serve. So in conclusion, bridges are a testament to human inventiveness and ambition. They embody our innate desire to explore, connect and overcome challenges. They have spurred economic growth, facilitated cultural exchange, advanced the field of engineering and have even become symbols of civic pride. As such, bridges are not just great inventions, but essential partners in any journey of human progress. For that reason, they are listed at number 52 on my list of the greatest inventions of all time. Thank you.